This is a Socialist News and Views special interview. I'm Nick Schillingford coming to you from the Urban Cabin Studios in South Minneapolis with this special interview. Recently, the Anti-War Committee here in Minnesota uh, held a No War with Russia rally, and so I wanted to reach out and connect with them and get a perspective on the current situation in Ukraine and Russia, as well as talk about the U.S. response and what response from workers around the globe. Let's go straight to the interview. So welcome on Socialist News and Views. We let folks introduce themselves. So tell us who you are. Um, my name is Andrew Josephchak. Uh, I'm a member of the Anti-War Committee. We're a Minneapolis-based anti-war organization that's been around since uh, 1998. And we've stood against all U.S. interventions since then, from full-out wars to sanctions to coups. And at the moment, our work is largely focused on opposing Israeli occupation of Palestine, and sure. ending USA to Israel, but you know today I'm I'm here mostly to talk about uh, the situation in Russia and Ukraine. Right, and you guys recently held a protest called "Tell Klobuchar and Congress No U.S. War with Russia End U.S. Intervention in Ukraine," and there you gave a speech uh, which you ended this way. I'll, I'll say, "quote We need her to know that no, they're all off the table. Everything except demands for peace. We need to take to the streets. We need to increase political pressure on our warmongering leaders." We need to make any support for war with Russia totally politically untenable for U.S. politicians. I found that to be a supremely important part of the speech. Can you expand on that idea a bit, specifically, you know, talking about workers coming out into the streets, but also, you know, bringing these demands into their unions as well? Yeah, um, <clears throat> this, uh, this situation needs to be de-escalated immediately. I mean, mm -hmm. immediately. And our leaders just are not doing that. They're still talking about sending more military aid to Ukraine. Uh, Biden just actually asked Congress for $6.4 with a B, for Ukraine, and a lot of that is military aid. Not all of it, but a lot of it. Um, they're now not only inflicting sanctions on Russia, but they're also freezing the assets of Russia's central bank, and that's completely irresponsible. I mean, if that was done to the U.S., if another country froze our assets, I mean, we, we would consider that an act of war. I've got zero doubt about that. And we're just lucky that so far Russia hasn't taken it as an act of war. And our leaders just seem completely asleep at the wheel. And um, on the one hand, they're calling Putin uh, a madman for ready readying the Russian Federation's nuclear systems. But on the other hand, they're continuing to escalate the situation in the face of that nuclear threat. And it's just absolutely irresponsible, completely, completely irresponsible. Right. The U.S. has to demand peace now uh, to facilitate peace negotiations to acknowledge Russia's security interests as legitimate, to stop messing around in Ukraine instead of treating their country and, I mean, the whole world as our personal amusement park. Um, you know, everything that the U.S. is doing over there to Russia, to Ukraine, all of it is going to hurt working class people first and foremost. Uh, sanctions, yeah, I, okay, I'm sure sanctions will hurt some billionaires' pockets over in, in Russia, but not the way they're going to hurt working people, right? The, the right. big business owners who are hit by these sanctions, uh, they're not they're not going to have enough. Tr they're not going to have trouble finding enough food to eat, or keeping a roof over their families' heads. But you can't say that for ordinary Russians, right? Mm -hmm. 
The exchange rate of the ruble fell 25% yesterday, and today it's down to 50% of its former value. Uh, you know, People are lining up at banks trying to get their money out. Businesses are collapsing. People are losing their jobs in droves. Right. And you know, these, these people are very, very soon not going to be able to feed their children. These are the people who are suffering from U.S. sanctions, not, not Vladimir Putin. And, and I think working people understand this. Like just today, actually, at work, one of my coworkers struck up a conversation with me about how he had seen how this was hitting ordinary Russians and how horrible it was. And we need to recognize that. You know, we need to bring that conversation into our workplace. We need to show working class solidarity by demanding an end to all this escalation. Because wars hurt working people. And the military aid we're sending over there, it's, not only is it just going to escalate the situation, because when you flood a country with heavy munitions, those munitions are going to get used, right? right. And that's going to make Russia escalate its destruction, too. That's just the logic of war. And that's going to be bad for working people. But also, a lot of those arms are going to find their way into the hands of the neo-Nazis that the U.S. has been actively training and arming over there. You know, we seem to be promoting this idea of some kind of long-term insurgency. You know, the CIA has been saying out loud how these Azov battalion guys, these neo-Nazis, who, you know, I, I, I have to say, just for clarity, like, these guys are waving swastika flags, right? It's not right. just like they're right-wingers, so I'm going to call them Nazis. Like, no, they're waving swastika flags. They're wearing the emblem of the Waffen-SS. These, they're, and, they're the CIA the, saying, and they're part of the state apparatus in Ukraine. That's right. They've become. They've actually been incorporated into the National Guard of Ukraine, right. and now Hillary Clinton is going on MSNBC today to talk about how you know the brave Ukrainians are going to mount a protracted insurgency against Russia. But you know, go ask the people of Afghanistan whether right. years and years of insurgency and guerrilla warfare are good for ordinary working people, right? And you know, more than that, I want to add just as a side note, I'm glad that the U.S. has finally acknowledged that it's the right of an invaded people to take up arms against their occupiers. I'm glad we could clear that up, right? right? And then, you know, the next logical step is to acknowledge the right of Palestinians, for example, to resist their occupiers, that, and that it was right for Iraqis and Afghans to resist their occupiers, that occupation is a crime, and the people who have been invaded have the right to fight back, but, you know, somehow I doubt the U.S. will be acknowledging that. Um, and like you, like you said, you know, this is something we need to stop immediately. Uh, yeah, that we need to de-escalate immediately. And the, you know, and to me, the only way we're going to do that, again, like you said, is, you know, NATO is not going to do solve it for us. Biden doesn't have the interest of the Ukrainian people at heart when he does the things that he does. Um, so you know, ultimately, this is going to fall on working people um, to come onto the stage of history and actually, if we actually want to stop this, right? Yeah, yeah, 100%. And yeah, to, to get back to, towards your, your initial question a little bit, like, not only is this war, which was sort of the stage was set for by the U.S., um, not only is that overwhelmingly hurting working class people over there in Ukraine and in Russia, but it's going to be hurting us here very soon. Like, we're already seeing inflation in the U.S. head towards double digits, but right. you know, just wait till these sanctions drive it up higher and wait till gas is $8 a gallon. You know, it's interesting how we always have money for these endless wars, but we can't spare a dime to resolve any of the problems of working people here at home. Like, you, you know, you asked about unions specifically. Um, I'm going to connect this to the teachers' union struggle that's happening right now here in, right. Um, in the Twin Cities, just to give a, like a concrete example of how we can have demands for peace connect with union work. You know, the, the anti-work committee has, has always come out to support strikes and union struggles, and we're going to be doing that now with the teacher strike. We're going to be supporting them. And... Again, Joe Biden, you know, a couple weeks back, 
sent 350 million to Ukraine, 350 million of pure military aid with the stroke of a pen, right, as an executive order. Now he's asking for that 6.4 billion from Congress, um, and a lot of that's in arms. But you know, we can't pay paraprofessionals in, in public schools in this country a living wage, right? Paraprofessionals are working incredibly emotionally demanding jobs and then Absolutely. leaving their shift to go to to a second job. Mm-hmm. And teachers are seeing their class size as well, like like never before. And it's impossible for our kids to get a decent education in this country. Like, this is outrageous, right? And it's clearly, you know, and it's clearly part of a whole package of things that needs to be brought into the unions in a big way. You know, we need they should be passing, um, you know, resolutions on all these things, including demanding, you know, peace on our earth. You know, I mean, the other thing is that war, right, is the uh, one of the biggest uh, polluters, <laughs> militaries. Mm-hmm. On, the, mm-hmm. on this planet are the biggest polluters. So again, it feeds right into the, uh, you know, climate uh, catastrophe that we're that we're seeing. So you know, again, this is just one of those things that unions need to be bringing into their unions and making demands around. And you know, this protest uh, that you you had was at Senator Amy Klobuchar's office, right? And uh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, just tell just tell us there was something specifically that she said uh, that really brought you guys out. What did she say? What was the goal of the protest and did you get a response from people around uh, the area at all um yeah well she did make some pretty horrible comments that morning that that wasn't specifically what inspired the protest um we had already planned that we mm. we uh we protest outside her office quite often um uh she deserves it but, yeah we do that because she is a voice for u.s imperialism mm. right but what she said that morning that the invasion began you know, she came out like as a mouthpiece for Joe Biden, like she always does, demanding more military aid, the sanctions, more sanctions. The sanctions should be even worse. Um, and the line from the speech you cited earlier um, about things being off the table, that was in response to something that um, uh, she, she said, I don't rule anything out with regards to U.S. response to uh, Russia's invasion of, of, of Ukraine. And Rachel Martin, the, the host of Morning Edition, that's the the NPR show she was on. She just asked Klobuchar, right, whether whether or not sanctions were going to be like enough of a response, or if Russia would really care. And Klobuchar said, "I don't rule anything out here," and right. emphasized the need for more military aid going to Ukraine, more U.S. troops deploying in, uh, in nearby NATO states, and saying, "I don't rule anything out in this situation." A situation in which the U.S. has played a huge role. I'd say really a determining role in setting up the chessboard for this war is, again, completely irresponsible. I've used the word before. I'm going to keep using it. Um, as far as response, you know, we, we got a decent response. We brought out um, uh, maybe 30 people. Uh, we had a uh, No War with Russia protest, uh, I don't know, a week or two before that that brought out a lot of people, like 75 to 100 or so. And so people are coming out for this. People don't want to see war with Russia. Um, I also say, I know that A.B. Klobuchar is informed about all the protests that happen outside of her office, but we've never heard anything from her about that. Right. I've called her many times. I've never heard anything from her office either. Mm-hmm. So, you I, know, this, no, go ahead. Oh, I should also say, you know, maybe I can talk about this more later, but um, Klobuchar is also really directly connected to, um, to the Ukraine situation because she actually traveled to Ukraine in 2014 with John McCain to be part of the team that oversaw the Euromaidan coup. That was a U.S.-backed coup. She, she's been directly involved in this entire catastrophe. 
you know, and yeah, and like you said, you've mentioned some of this already, but there's been an ongoing proxy war between the U.S. and Russia for some time. And I think, the, you know, the only place I really ever see it covered much in mainstream media has been the situation in Syria. Um, you know, so, and like I mentioned before, Biden and I would say also Putin, um, you know, we can't get inside their head. And I'm not sure, my personal feeling is neither of them really have the interests of Ukrainian people at heart. Um, Absolutely. Yep. You know, so so what's the history of this whole scenario and what is, you know, you mentioned a little bit, what does diplomacy look like? Yeah, well, the the fundamental cause behind all this, right, is NATO expansion. Um, when the U.S. was negotiating the annexation of East Germany, the dissolution of the Soviet Union, they, they you know, they promised Gorbachev NATO would expand not one inch east. Um, NATO, of course, has now expanded something like 600 miles east. Uh, less less than a decade after that promise was made, NATO bombs were being used to turn Yugoslavia into a parking lot, right? Um, and for a long time, the U.S. has claimed that it didn't make that promise. But documents from those meetings have actually come out now that show that, in fact, the U.S. did promise this, that we're not going to expand NATO. And people need to understand the implications of NATO membership. It would mean that the U.S. could station troops in Ukraine freely, it would mean we could put nukes in Ukraine, just a matter of minutes from Russia's population centers. I mean, can you imagine if Russia was stationing nukes in somewhere like Montreal or somewhere like that? You know, like well, I mean, just what, look what happened when they tried to do anything with Cuba, right? Like, yeah, of course. Was what, that was what sixteen hundred miles from the capital of the U.S., but yet that was basically bringing the globe to the brink of nuclear war, supposedly. Yeah, no, absolutely. Right. We know how the U.S. would react because, like you say, when they did, when it happened in Cuba, we threatened to destroy the planet over it, right? And mm -hmm. and now we're acting like Russia's concern over these nukes, um, over troops on the border, are just 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 you know Putin being being uh, some crazy despot, right? Um, right. And Russia has asked for a guarantee over and over that Ukraine wouldn't be allowed to enjoy NATO. Um, it's gotten nothing from the U.S. It's been put in a position where it can either kind of watch its sovereignty erode. You know, we, we've heard a lot, all of a sudden the word sovereignty is in the news, the sovereignty of Ukraine and so on. No one is saying anything about what the U.S. has been trying to do to Russian sovereignty. Um, and Russia has been facing this total brick wall from the U.S. and NATO and pushed in, it's been pushed into this position where war became a logical option, and that's terrible, right? This war is terrible. Um, there's and you know, I, I you mentioned a speech I gave at that that protest, and I mentioned this there there, but I'll do it again. There there is a Rand Corporation study, the Rand Corporation being part of the U.S. military industrial complex, um, that was sent to the U.S. Army Chief of Staff in 2019, saying how can we best um, confront Russia, dissolve Russia, dissolve Russian power, the best way to do it would be to put them in a situation in which they have to go to war with a neighboring state, have to send in troops, and that would cause them to overextend themselves militarily and would cause them to lose, um, lose their standing in the eyes of the world. And it seems to me like our government took that study seriously and is acting on it, right? Um, Beyond that, uh, there, there was, as I've already gestured to, there was a right-wing coup in Ukraine in 2014, which was backed by the U.S. government. And Russia watched that happen right next door. Mm -hmm. An elected president of Ukraine, 
Viktor uh, Yanukovych was thrown out of power, and the U.S. actively participated in that. You know, the, and Yanukovych, you know, I'm not going to predict, he, by all accounts, he, the government was fairly corrupt. There was legitimate um, discontent with the government, but the U.S. mobilized that discontent. Right. And it used these outright neo-Nazis, these far-right elements and far, you know, ultra-nationalists that have been in Ukraine for a long time as a kind of vanguard to make that coup happen. Yanukovych, you know, he wasn't 100% pro-Russia, but he was friendly to Russia. He wasn't interested in joining NATO, and that was a problem for the U.S. There's leaked phone calls from uh, Victoria Newland, who was Assistant Secretary of State at that time, where she's openly talking about how the U- who who should the U.S. pick to be the prime minister of Ukraine? What would be the best choice? The U.S. is picking the Ukrainian government, not the Ukrainian people. That is criminal. Right. There's pictures of John McCain up on stage giving speeches alongside avowed neo-Nazis. And again, our own Amy Klobuchar was on that trip. Mm. And as you've already said, those neo-Nazis have been now organized into a paramilitary group called the Azov Battalion that has been receiving U.S. weapons and CIA training since 2015. The CIA has said openly that they're training these guys to lead an insurgency in Ukraine. Actually, they're coy about it. They say they're training paramilitaries in Ukraine, but I, I don't doubt that they mean these people. Um, right, and, well, I saw a whole box of guns just laid out in the middle of some train depot or something in Ukraine where everybody could just go up and grab some, so I would imagine that anybody who has the inclination to... Uh, cause some right-wing violence could easily get their hands on those weapons. Yeah, that's true. That's true. And, and, and Even if they weren't being directly provided. Yeah, well, that, I mean, they are being directly provided. Right, on top in, of in, that. In, in, yeah, in, 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 I think it was 2015, I might have that date wrong, but I believe it was 2015, um, Congress, out of concern for the fact that U.S. arms are being sent to avowed neo-Nazis, tr- passed a bill saying we want to make sure that military aid to Ukraine is not going to the Azov Battalion, right? The bill right. was passed. It was then repealed because the Pentagon demanded that it be repealed. These guys are too valuable of an asset for, right. for Facebook's that Facebook's changed their policies as well around the Azov Battalion. Now you can praise it on Facebook as long as it's specifically related to defending Ukraine. Um, you can't you can't praise it on its own or for its supposedly for its uh, nationalistic views, but you can praise it as long as it fits within the realm of support for this uh, Ukrainian resistance or whatever. Then, then you can. So they changed their policy to accommodate that. Uh, that's I, yeah, I, I wasn't aware of it. That, yeah, that's, I just that's, that was on the Intercept awful. a couple days ago. So yeah, well, just to just quick, you um you mentioned this a little bit before I'll say, but just for um from the perspective of uh. Anti-war committee, uh, you know, what does diplomacy look like? What, what yeah. were the demands of the event again? Just lay those out for us. Yeah, I'll, 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 I'll get back to that. Um, I think real diplomacy would, would mean, for a start, removing NATO troops from the Baltic region. I mean, all of them. It okay. would mean putting an agreement on paper that Ukraine is not going to be allowed to join NATO. Um, I mean, if you want a real long-term peace, you start talking about disbanding NATO. Uh, I, I also think there should be serious talk about guaranteeing the rights of ethnic Russians in the Donbass region who, who have had, this is a fact, they've had their linguistic and cultural rights infringed upon by the government we put in place. You're not seeing a lot about it, but you know, Russian was removed from schools, it was removed from road signs, government usage, all of that in the Donbass area. And that, that is a real concern. 
Um, and really, I mean, <laughs> you could demand the implementation of the Minsk II agreement, which did account for all that, right? And that's that agreement has already been signed by both Russia and Ukraine. I think people, you know, could come away from media coverage thinking the Minsk II agreement was something up in the air, right? That like maybe Russia had proposed but hadn't been signed, but it's been signed. Mm. Ukraine has just refused to implement it. And that's, you know, that's all related as well, because um, related to NATO as well, because the Minsk II agreement would give the Donbass region um, uh, a, a level of autonomy where they would have the power to veto military alliances. It, it, and people in Donbass are, don't want to be part of NATO, so that would create a real that would again create a real problem for the U.S. Um, yeah, we we got to say no more military aid to Ukraine. Stop asking Ukrainians to take up U.S. weapons to go fight and die for NATO on the behalf of the U.S. and our military interests. We need to be fighting for peace and not further war. That about sums it up. There, we need to be fighting for peace and not more war. I'd agree. I'd agree strongly with that. Um, is there anything else that you wanted to share? Um, you know, I think that's. You know, we're in the United States, so we have a responsibility to be, um, you know, putting pressure on our own government. You mm -hmm. know, we don't really have a good, uh, we have a lot more difficulty putting pressure on any other government. So really, you know, we need to be focusing on building the working class anti-war movement here in the United States, you know, to oppose any, any escalations anywhere uh, that are continued by the U.S. across the globe. You know, you mentioned Israel-Palestine as... One example, we just had a, our regular show on that uh, subject talking specifically about Amnesty uh, International's declaration of uh, Palestine under Israeli occupation as an apartheid state. Um, you know, talked about the, the, the cards they're required to use to, to, mm -hmm. to even move anywhere, how they have to have all these identity cards. So, mm -hmm. you know, and again, that's another thing that the U.S. continues to support. They came out in strong opposition to the Amnesty International report, even though they quote Amnesty International and in like every other thing they mm -hmm. ever uh, use to, <laughs> to, to go to war. Um, you know, so are there any last words you have just on the situation with Russia or just generally around, you know, building an anti-war movement? Yeah, I mean, I, I guess just to piggyback off what you just said, you know, I, I said something earlier about, um, you know, the... I, I was speaking facetiously about the U.S. You know, acknowledging occupied people's rights to, to fight back. Right, um, right. And you know, I was being sarcastic there, but uh, I do think this is an opportunity. You know, this, is, this situation in Ukraine is all over the news. People are hearing about it. People are mad about it. Um, right. There's people have been critical about what you know. Why are you so concerned about Ukrainians when you haven't been concerned about Syrians? Palestinians, you know, uh, uh, Venezuelans, and so on. And, you know, there's, there's some truth to that, but this is an opportunity to say to people, look what's happening over there in Ukraine. You can see that this is terrible. Let's talk about how it's terrible when it happens everywhere else, too, right? This is, this is an opportunity to build the anti-war movement in the U.S., which is a necessity. Um, yeah, that's that's what I, I got to say. Can I, I? I agree with it. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, can, can I? Uh, can I let your listeners know about a couple uh, events that we've got coming up where they could? Absolutely, maybe get I will be putting this out hopefully Thursday morning. So I know there's something tomorrow that won't be captured, unfortunately. Um, but yeah, go ahead. What 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 events you got coming up? Yeah, um, if if people well, first off, I want to say 
Um, yeah, all our, all the NC board committee's meetings are open. Um, we meet on Wednesday nights at 7 p.m. at our office at 4200 uh, Cedar. Um, so if you want to get involved in fighting against this, please come by. Um, we've also got an event coming up on March 10th, uh, an online event with uh, Vijay Prashad, the, uh, uh, the Indian uh, historian, a left-wing historian, which we're really excited about. Um, and he's going to be doing a Q&A, talking about his, his, his new book. But I assume that we're going to be having a, a lot of discussion with him about the situation uh, in Ukraine, too. So that will be an awesome opportunity to learn more and get to talk to someone who really knows his stuff about what's going on over there. You said that's um, online and it's March 10th. Where would people go to find out how to get onto that meeting? Um, our, our Facebook page would be a great place. It's um, anti, uh, Anti-War Committee MN is our name on Facebook. Okay, great. Um, and then on the 19th, we are holding a protest with uh, the Minnesota Peace Action Coalition at 1 p.m. I think we're still deciding on the location for that, but again, you can find that on our Facebook page um, where we will be, again, opposing this war in, uh, in Ukraine. Well, I appreciate you speaking with me, and yeah, I will put that out, and I will, if I can find the links myself, I'll link to those events for folks to uh, participate as well. For sure. Thank you so again so much for, uh, for inviting us on. Yeah, thanks so much for your time, Andrew. Thank you. Take care. That's the end of our show. And as always, you can send comments, questions, concerns, disagreements to socialist.news.views at gmail.com or find us on social media. This has been a Socialist News and Views special interview.